podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Friday, the 18th of June. We're brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. Allows you to go online, change your location, keeps your data safe as well. LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Do check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, it is Friday. Um, We are at the weekend once more. Another week has passed us by. Hard to believe how quickly this year is going. Um, Before we get into the Euro stuff, yesterday I did the all-star type teams for Ligue 1, La Liga, Serie A, and the Premier League. It bothered me that I didn't do one for the Bundesliga. So I've done that this morning. Um, I've gone with Manuel Nauer in goal. I've gone with a very German setup here. So it's the German shape from Euro 96. So I've got Joshua Kimmich as my sweeper, Maxence Lacroix and Edmonton Topsapa as my centre backs. I've cheated a little bit. I've picked Conrad Lamer, Even though he missed most of the season with his ankle injury, I still think he's brilliant. I've gone with him as a right wing back. Philipp Kostic of Eintracht Frankfurt is my left wing back. Marcel Sabitzer and Javer Schlager of Wolfsburg are my two central midfielders. Florian Wirtz is my number 10. And I've got the, the Dortmund pair of Haaland and Sancho. Up front, so again, it's picking only two players per club. So I've got um, Andreas Luther of Union Berlin, Silas from Stuttgart, Florian Newhouse, and Andre Silva as my bench. So I've got the Bayern pair of Kimmich and Nauer in defensive areas. From Dortmund, I've got Haaland and Sancho. I've got uh, Wurz and Top, Top Sapa from Leverkusen Kostic and Silva from Frankfurt Lacroix and Schlager from Wolfsburg Lehmer and Sabitzer from Leipzig and then I've got one each from Union Berlin Stuttgart and Borussia Mönchengladbach I actually really like the makeup of that team I like the shape of that team that German team from 96 is still my favorite international team of all time. So that shape is forever with me. Anyway, moving on to Euro 2020 in 21. We had three games yesterday. Ukraine overcoming North Macedonia. Not a surprise, but a good game of football. 2-1 to Ukraine. As we were recording yesterday, this game was ongoing. Ukraine went 1-0 up. Then they went 2-0 up five minutes later. Yarmolenko with a tap in. 
Yaromchuk, really nice finish for the second. He's doing himself no harm at all. He's coming off a really good season with Gent, with, with Gent. He's had three seasons in a row where he's done well and gotten better each year. Finally, out of the shadow of Jonathan David there, he's now the star man. I think he's going to get himself a move to a, a big a top five league this summer. I think there'll be a number of clubs. I think there's some Premier League clubs that would do well to look at him. Like Crystal Palace, as an example, if you want a goal scorer, I think he could be the guy. Now, they've got Mateta on loan next season. I think Yaramchuk is a better player. Norwich coming up into the Premier League, you can't just rely on Timu Puki. You've got a bit of money behind you now, having sold... Um, who did they say? They sold somebody. Uh, Buendia, Emmy Buendia. So there is money now to spend. Watford, if you want an out-and-out number nine, he could be an option for you. I think West Ham could do with another striker. He'd be a good fit. Doesn't necessarily have to start every game, but he is very durable, so he could be an option for them. If Aston Villa wanted another number nine, if they were going to move on from Wesley, he could be an option for them. If Leeds wanted an alternative, some cover, to Bamford, someone that could play with Bamford potentially, he could be an option there. I think there'll be a number of clubs interested, not just in the Premier League, obviously, but elsewhere. Uh, Alioski of Leeds gets the the goal back for North Macedonia, misses the penalty, puts home the rebound. Ukraine would miss a penalty late on. Uh, Malinovsky, who'd played very well, hammer of a penalty, great save by uh, Dmitrievsky. The uh, North Macedonia goalkeeper, really impressive save. North Macedonia have done themselves proud so far at this tournament. They've played two good teams in Austria and the Ukraine. They haven't been wiped off the floor, off the field by either of them. They've given, like I say, good accounts themselves. They've worked incredibly hard. They've got the Dutch next. They may well get a thumping by the Dutch, but the Dutch can rest players having won their first two games. I think these lads, when they go home, can go home with their heads held high. I really do. Even if they go home with no points, they've, they've scored a couple of goals. They haven't been embarrassed. I think they should, they'll should. they go home as heroes. Uh, second game of the day, Denmark won, Belgium nil. Bel- Belgium started really poorly, but Denmark hammered them for 25, 30 minutes. Foot to the floor high intensity, pressing really, really high up the field, taking risks, but getting away with them, capitalizing on shaky play from the Belgians. The back three looked all over the place. Uh, Denier gave the ball away early. Heusberg picked it up. Fed use of Poulsen, who puts it in the bottom corner. Two two minutes in, one nil up. They had a couple of other good chances. Joachim Mal had a good chance cutting in off the left. Um, Courtois did very well Aldevera looked all over the place Jan Vertonghen I thought was the only one that maintained a bit of composure but eventually the Danes began to tire and Belgium's class began to tell And I mean when you can bring on Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard you're playing at a different table than most of the teams first goal is one of the best team goals of the tournament um Great work from Lukaku, good work from De Bruyne, and a nice finish from Thorgan Hazard. 
The second goal is the best team goal of the tournament so far. Again, Lukaku, Hazard involved. And it's De Bruyne with a great left-footed finish. Now, the Danes, a little bit unlucky. Martin Braithwaite with a late header to hit the bar could potentially have rescued a point. But for the 25 minutes or so that Belgium really turned it on, they just looked a different calibre of team. The challenge for them will be doing that in a big game against a top team and being able to sustain it for more than 20, 25 minutes. But Belgium look a threat. They really do. When when they have everybody fit, they're going to be a problem for everybody. Final game of the day, Netherlands 2, Austria 0. Really disappointing performance from the Austrians. I don't understand the tactical decisions that this manager is making. Like, he's got Christoph Baumgartner playing up front. Really good midfielder, not a front player. Gregorich, who, I mean, he's a decent player. He wouldn't be my idea of someone that I'd want to lead the line. I think he's better when he plays as an inside forward in a three rather than as, you know, the number nine. Conrad Lamer, great in the first game, not so good in this game. He missed all of the season, though, with that ankle injury, well, most of the season with that ankle injury. So not surprising he doesn't look 100%. But Sabitzer and Stefan Leiner, they didn't play well. I thought Javre Schlager had a really good game. David Alaba looked a little bit unsure of himself. He's not really played in the middle of a back three before. I don't think he was done any favours by Dragovic having a poor game and Hinteregger reminding everybody that he is, while a good defender and good on the ball, he is painfully slow. I thought the Dutch played well. Not the most convincing, but still a good performance. Frankie looked good. Dumfries looked good. Ginny looked really good. The defence looked a lot better with uh, Matthias De Ligt back there. He could have scored. The front two will cause problems for everybody. Weghorst is so unusual because of his size, his build, and but his footballing ability. And then Memphis is a one-of-one. One. There is no other Memphis to pie. He is just what he is, very, very unique. Pace, power, dribbling ability, shooting with both feet, creativity off the charts. I love that front too. Memphis should have scored after Veghorst squared it for him. Now, BBC commentators, morons that they are, criticised Veghorst for not taking it on himself. And said he wasn't a proper striker. That dude scores 25 goals a season. That's a proper striker. The reason he squared it is because his chance was very difficult. The chance he then created for Memphis was very easy. It's just that Memphis didn't get over the ball. Daniel Mallon set up Dumfries to make it 2-0. Um, Memphis scored an early penalty. I should have mentioned David Alaba uh, giving, giving it away on the edge of the box. Clumsy from Alaba. Very, very clumsy. Unlike him, uh, Memphis puts it away. Dumfries makes it two, and that's game over. Austria aren't offering a whole bunch in return. So the Netherlands are true. Austria and Ukraine both have three points, and obviously they play each other in the last game. Now, a draw will probably send both teams through. However, you'd imagine they'll both want to win the game um, because it's better to finish second than third. You'll get an easier game. Belgium, they're through. Two wins from two. Um, the Danes, unfortunately, it's it's Nipois. So looks like they're going to have an early exit. Now, they will have Russia next. 
So potentially a good win over Russia could see them through, depending on how the other groups shake out. They could scrape through as a third-place team. But it looks unlikely at the moment. Uh, Belgium will play Finland. Finland obviously have the three points from beating Denmark, lost to Russia. You'd imagine Denmark will rest some players and you know play a weakened team, but they should still have enough to take care of the Finns. Um, in terms of today, we have Sweden versus Slovakia kicking off in an hour. That's all about Isaac versus Skriniar for me. Uh, then we get Croatia versus the Czech Republic. I, I've said this a million times. I'm going to say it again. Euro 96 is the pinnacle of European championships for me. And these were the two teams that really, outside of Germany, these were the two teams that defined that tournament because there were two teams we didn't really know. There were two relatively new teams on the international scene um, following you know, the, the restructure of what was Yugoslavia into what is now Serbia, Croatia, Montenegro, Macedonia, Slovenia. I'm missing somebody as well. Bosnia and Herzegovina. Um, that Croatian team we didn't know. And then obviously Czechoslovakia had had success, won a European Championships. When they split up, we got the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Uh, again, it was a relatively new team. And these weren't all players that we knew. Like, to look through the squad um, of the Czech Republic at the time, Pavel Nedved was 23, playing for Sparta Prague at home. Uh, Miroslav Kadlic was a, a quality player, 31 at the time, was playing for Kaiserslautern. And obviously, Bundesliga football was not really easy to access if you lived in the UK or Ireland. Karol Paborski would be one of the stars of the tournament, score one of the goals of the tournament. He was 24, playing at home for Slavia Prague. Patrick Berger was playing for Borussia Dortmund, um, and obviously he'd go on to become a star. Vladimir Schmitzer was playing for Slavia Prague. And Pavel Novotny, very, very good midfield player. He was with Slavia Prague. So most of their players were at home. Most of their, their top players were at home. You know, we didn't really know a lot of these players. And what we did know of them was just from watching them in the Champions League, if you happen to see Dortmund or an early game, qualify, qualifying game with, with Slavia or Sparta Prague. We didn't really know these players. The Croatian team was fantastic. And the, a couple of these players would have been kind of better known. Um, Igor Stimac was at Derby. Slavin Bilic was at West Ham. Robert Prozanecki. Um, wonderful player. Davor Suker was at Sevilla. He was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Boban and, and Boxic would have been the two best known outside of the couple that were already in England because they were playing in Syria. And obviously at the time Syria was been shown on Channel 4. Um, but like Dario Simic was still playing at home. Asanovic was still playing with Hajak Splits. Robert Yarny was at Real Betis. He wouldn't have had great access to uh, to Spanish football at the time. Zvonimir Soldo, quality centre back. He was with um, he was with Croatia Zagreb. Mario Stanic would go on to be a very very good midfielder. He was with Club Bruges. This was a very exciting time to see these two new teams 
players you didn't really know or that you'd heard of. Like Suker, for example, I'd read about in World Soccer magazine, but I hadn't really seen him play because he was at Sevilla. Uh, he would obviously go on to Real Madrid and, and have great success under Capello, be part of a team that won the Champions League, and obviously came to England later in his career. Um, Boban we knew, Prozanecki you knew of, and you'd, you'd see here and there because he'd moved around a lot. And he was an incredible footballer. Like that midfield of Boban, Prozanecki and Asanovic were just incredibly talented technicians to use a Brendan Rodgers face. This game's not as exciting, to me anyway, as, as that would have been, because um, we know all these players. We know all the Croatians. We know most of the Czechs. The Czechs, there's still a bit of mystique around because some of their players are still playing at home. There's a couple in Russia, but obviously Suchek, you know, Sufal, they're, they're in, in the Premier League. Um, I'm expecting a Croatia win, but if Patrick Schick turns up and plays like he did, against Scotland, you just you just don't know. He, he'll be tough to stop if he plays like that. He'll be tough to stop for anybody. Uh, and then finally, England versus Scotland. And, um, you know, I'm sure you, like me, we're all in agreement. It's, you know, let's go Scotland. <laughs> I tried explaining this to Carl Matchett this morning. If you're from Ireland, Scotland, or Wales, and I, I maybe Northern Ireland, I assume Northern Ireland as well, uh, though not all of them, some of them, um, you definitely, when competing against English people uh, in sport, you definitely get a little bit of extra drive. Um, and it, it is like, it's a tribalistic thing. It's something that's just ingrained in your soul. You feel like you're doing it for your ancestors. Uh, nothing against English people, obviously, it's not the fault of the people that live now what happened hundreds of years ago, except Boris Johnson. We'll just blame him anyway. And um, Jonathan Reese moog we'll blame him as well because he just looks like a horrible person. But it's not their fault. So it's nothing personal against them. It's more the idea of the empire and all that type of thing. Um, it's hard to see England not winning the game. It really is. Like, let's be fair. England have, by far, the better team. Scotland have a really strong midfield. McTominay, Armstrong, McGinn and Robertson is four-fifths of a really strong midfield. O'Donnell is not of the same calibre. Maybe if they played Forrest there, he's not quite the same level as do this, but he's better than O'Donnell. He's not naturally a fullback, but he can play as a wingback. The back three, if Tierney plays, that's hugely improved. The others, though, are championship-caliber players. Up front, Che Adams is good. They don't really have a, the right caliber of partner for him. They'll cause England some problems. They will work incredibly hard. They will try and drag England into a bit of a scrap. But England have some boys that won't be scared of a scrap. Like, nobody is intimidating Calvin Phillips. Nobody is outworking Phillips or Mason Mount in the middle of the park. Now... Declan Rice, maybe you can outrun him a little bit because he's not used to that. His role is that is more that of a, of a stationary player to shield the defence. So maybe if Scotland were brave enough to stick McTominay maybe in a more advanced position, like almost like a, an advanced defensive midfielder, and try and press high and win the ball back and create turmoil and turnovers, maybe that'll work. But it's Steve Clark, which means they're going to sit in, 
they're going to defend, 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 and then try and spring on the counterattack. And the problem with that is, outside of Andy Robertson and O'Donnell, like that midfield is not exactly the quickest. Once McTominay gets moving, he's quite quick because he's got long legs and a long stride. McGinn is not quick. Armstrong's not the quickest. Y- you sort of end up with a counterattack that's really three guys going up against four or five. So it maybe not the best plan of attack. But look, I'm not going to pretend not to be a little bit biased. Uh, I am hoping for a Scottish win. And um, and, and that'll put a smile on Eddie Gibbs' face. Uh, Eddie Gibbs's face. And when Eddie has a smile, we all smile. Um, so they're the three games for today. I, I do think it's a decent day of games. I think Sweden-Slovakia has the potential to be a bit drab. But if Isaac plays the way he did uh, in the first game against Spain, he could turn that game around. Like I said, it'll be a big battle between him and Skriniar. That's that's one to keep an eye on. Uh, Croatia need the win. The Czechs, a draw, will probably do them. Scotland need the win. England can afford to lose it and just go and beat the Czechs in the last game. But England are not going to want to lose to them from up north. Um, but yeah, if you put your, I think if you put your ear to the ground right now, if you just listen, you hear that rumble? Yeah, they're marching from the north. Let's go, Scotland. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll go through the gossip. It's a short show today. Right, welcome back. So to rattle through the, the news very quickly, uh, Gigi Buffon has gone back to Parma. He has signed a two-year contract. The announcement video is excellent. Go and check out Parma's Twitter account, and you'll find it there. Uh, it's really, really good, really well done. 20 years after he left to join Juventus as then the world's most expensive keeper, after what has been an incredible career, I think he's the best goalkeeper of all time. Others may have others that they that they would suggest, but I think Buffon is the best goalkeeper of all time. Um, and what a career he's had. You know, he, he played 220 games for Parma. He played 656 games for Juve in his first spell, 29 in his second spell. Um, and as well as that, he had that year at Paris Saint-Germain, which I wish he hadn't done, but he went to try and win a Champions League. Uh, we played 25 games, 930 career appearances at club level. I think the hope will be that over the next two seasons, maybe he can get himself to the thousand mark. And obviously he has eyes on being the backup goalkeeper at um, the next World Cup and retiring there. 176 caps for Italy. 176 caps between 97 and 2018. That is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, there can't be many players. He's got a, he's got 1,100 professional career appearances between club and country. He holds all kinds of records for clean sheets and longest streaks without goals. Our goals conceded, rather. You look at the honours he's won. And with Parma, he won a Coppa Italia. He won a UEFA Cup. With Juve, he won 
10 titles, not including the two that were taken off because of Calciopoli. So, in truth, he won 12 titles and a Serie B and five Coppa Italias, three times Champions League runner-up. Such a shame he could never win the Champions League. He also won uh, the French League with PSG. He won the European Under-21 Championships with Italy. Then he won the World Cup, obviously, in 2016. I I think he's the greatest goalkeeper of all time. I think his level for so long was just above anything else anyone. Others have probably reached that level for a short period, but I don't think anyone sustained it for as long as him. Like, up until, I would say, probably 2016, he was a genuinely elite-level goalkeeper. And he was like 38 at the time. And I think he was still an elite level goalkeeper up until about 2016. Then he started to drop off. He had more and more injuries. But that's 20 years of greatness by then. Because when he came on the scene at Parma, he was pretty much great immediately. Maybe the first season he had some youthful errors. But after that, he was just different class. Um, I love that he's gone back to finish his career at Parma. I love the symmetry of it. Parma, Juve, PSG, Juve, Parma. I hope he gets the call. He should get the call regardless for the next World Cup. You can afford to bring Gigi Buffon as your third keeper. You'll have Donnarumma. You'll have Alex Murray, two young goalkeepers. They're your top two choices. Bring Buffon along. What the other two will learn from him in that month will stand you in good stead for the decade afterwards. Spurs have decided not to hire uh, Fonseca. They have gone into negotiations with Reno Gattuso. Uh, According to the spoofer with the catchphrase, they were in advanced negotiations. However, David Ornstein reports this morning that they have called off all talks with Gattuso. Now, I would imagine... Part of this is down to the fact that the fans reacted in outrage and no to Gattuso was trending on social media last night. Uh, The spoofer with the catchphrase then comes out and says, oh, they just had a first meeting with his agent. Well, it can't be both, Fabrizio. It can't be both. He can't have been in advanced negotiations and then just having the first meeting because those two things are very, very different. So let's not pretend you didn't jump the gun yesterday Let's not pretend you didn't try and get ahead of the story as you always do. The same way you, you said that Odson Edward was done to Celtic and now it's not done at all. Uh, that never got beyond an initial inquiry now, according to you. But you said it was deal agreed less than a month ago. Uh, Leicester do look like they may have Pats and Daka lined up to come in. Would be a good signing. I think a better fit at Leicester than he would be at, at any of the top club. Um, but yeah, I mean, Daka would be, he's talented. He needs games. I I think he'd get enough games at at Leicester between the Europa League, the Cups and the handful of league games. Vardy will need to be taken care of as he gets older. Iheanacho's inconsistencies maybe will, will cause him to drop in and out of the team. But, you know, Daka is an interesting one. Not the mind-blowingly great signing that some are making it out to be, but it's a good risk. Um, back to Spurs, though. So now they find themselves in an interesting situation. They went hard after Conte. 
they thought they had that one done and somehow that fell apart. Then they went for Fonseca, it was done and then it fell apart. Then they went for Gattuso, it never got close to being done. Now they have sort of to start again. Remember, at the start of this whole process, the, the three names that they really liked before Conte became an option, the three names they really liked were Eric Ten Hag of Ajax, Brendan Rodgers, and Julian Nagelsmann. Now, Nagelsmann went to Bayern, so he's off the table. Rodgers is still at Leicester. Ten Hag is still at Ajax. Ten Hag did extend his contract by a year, but there was a lot of talk that was merely to put a, a different buyout into the, into the contract. Potentially, you could go back and try for him. Potentially, you could try for Rodgers. I don't think Rodgers would take it. I think he's kind of talked himself into a situation where he has to stay at, um, at Leicester this season anyway. So Leicester, Tottenham now have to start again, have to have a look around. Maybe they have to go back to Conte. Maybe that's the move. Go back and try Conte again. See if there's any possibility that you can bridge the gap in, you know, whatever terms were there. Like, remember, Ryan Mason was meant, was, was apparently one of the sticking points. Conte didn't want him on his staff. Daniel Levy was adamant he has to be on the staff. Then Fonseca comes along. Well, Ryan Mason's not going to be part of his staff. So he wasn't a sticking point then. So it seems like the only real sticking point with Conte is potentially money. Daniel Levy's under major pressure now. He has to get this right. If he doesn't get this right, he's going to lose the fan base once and for all. And then there's no coming back for him. Then he's done at Spurs. This has to be his last year. If he loses the fans, he's got to be gone next summer. Now, in terms of what alternatives are out there, I mean, they missed their chance with Allegri. They missed their chance with Sarri. Inzaghi's off the board. He's gone to Inter. John O'Sullivan suggested earlier today, um, if you're not following John, make sure you are at NotoriousJOS. Really good guy, knows his stuff. Why don't they go for Gasparini? And Gasparini would be ideal for Spurs because he plays the most entertaining brand of football in Europe. The problem with Gasparini is that the clubs that would tempt him to leave Atalanta, and I don't know if Spurs are one of them, but the clubs that would tempt him to leave normally need instant results. And his system and style will take a bit of time to put in place. We saw him go to Inter early in his career. They sacked him after six months because it wasn't long enough and the results weren't forthcoming quickly enough. He probably needs two years of complete job security to get everything in place and start bringing in the players and pieces that he needs. The problem with that is Spurs don't really have two years to burn. Unless they're like, okay, fine, we are going to sell Harry Kane. If they sold Kane and invested all of that money back into the team, Gasparini could make them a really, really impressive team within two years. 
Because the bones of everything is there. It's a really talented squad. The likes of Deli Ali and Son and Heusberg and Endombele and Lacelso, these guys would thrive under Gasparini. Regulon would thrive under him. Uh, Doherty would do very well under him. I think you'd still want to upgrade that position. You'd need to still to sort the centre back positions out, but they ha- like Toby is fine. Tanganga is a good backup. Roden's a good backup, and I think Davies is a good backup. You need two starting flanking centre backs and a right wing back, and a Kane replacement, of course, if he's gone, and a goalkeeper. Now it is a lot, obviously, but over two years, it's easily doable. You had a couple more squad pieces. You give yourself that depth. But over two years, they could do it. So Spurs now would have to make that decision of, are we just letting Kane go and accepting that we are entering a rebuild? Short term, though it may be, it's still a rebuild. And that's something we'll have to relay to our fans. That's something where we'll have to set expectations and maybe set ticket prices at a level that reflects what, what the fans have been given as a product. I've seen a lot of laughter at Spurs. And I find a lot of it misplaced. So I've seen some Man City fans laugh at Spurs. And Man City fans are absolutely fine to laugh at Spurs. Man City are a well-run club who've had great success recently, obviously. And and won the league title. Now, they did lose the Champions League final. And they took their, their licks for that. And that's fine. Manchester United fans were laughing at them as well. I'm not sure United fans can really laugh at Spurs. They have among the worst ownership situations in the league. Their manager's a glorified PE teacher. They're held hostage by Mina Riola and Paul Pogba. Their stadium has an enormous hole in the roof that leaks and the owners won't fix it. While they may have a better team at the minute, you're still Man United, you're still not winning anything. You finished 12 points off the top in your best season since Fergie. Even though it wasn't their best season since Fergie. The first two years under Mourinho were better than that. Liverpool fans can absolutely laugh at Tottenham. Well-run club, good owners, stadium getting expanded, great first team, great manager. Big success recently, fine. Uh, Again, Chelsea fans, absolutely fine. Leicester, fair enough. You've had more success than them recently. Uh, you've won a league and an FA Cup in recent years. You're really well run. You've got a promising uh, team. All of that's great. Don't really think West Ham are in a position to be laughing, though. Bad owners. One good season out of however many. Question marks over whether Declan Rice will stay. Your stadium situation's a little bit iffy. However... Arsenal fans have no business at all laughing at Tottenham. None. Because as frustrating as the Tottenham ownership situation might be, it's far better than your ownership situation. As poor as Daniel Levy might have done his job in the last couple of years, you've got Edu, who's dreadful. Dreadful at his job. And while they may not have a manager, you've got Mikel Arteta, who's also dreadful, way out of his depth. 
they've got a better team than you. They've been better than you for however many years now. Even with all the chaos of last season, they still got to a cup final and finished above you in the table. And you're trying to sign Ben White for 50 million. And your number one target for your goalkeeping situation is Aaron Ramsdale, the worst goalkeeper in the Premier League the last two seasons. And you think you can laugh at anybody? The only clubs that Arsenal can laugh at are the teams that got relegated. And that's it. No one else. You don't get to laugh at anyone else, Arsenal. I'm sorry. You're a shambles. Top to bottom, a shambles. Your ongoing summer is a mess. How you go from Jules Kunde to Ben White. Now, let's be honest. You're never getting Jules Kunde. He would retire before he joined you. You couldn't afford him. You can't offer him anything. He wasn't joining But Ben White is the number two target. When you sat down and put together your list, it went Kunde White with nobody in between. Edu's the type of fella who drives around in a second-hand Ford Focus because he wanted a Ferrari but couldn't get one. And the only other thing he could think of was a Ford Focus, second-hand. Aaron Ramsdale, I mean, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. You sold a a far better goalkeeper last summer in Emi Martinez. And, And I'm no fan of Leno at all. And I think you should sell him. But Aaron Ramsdale, he shouldn't even be under consideration. If his name came up in the room, you should fire whoever spoke his name. If an agent suggested him, block his phone number. Ring the police, tell them that number is harassing you and have it blocked from ever being able to call you. Aaron Ramsdale. Arsenal fans, you can't laugh at anybody. You certainly can't laugh at Spurs. I can laugh at Spurs. I'm a Liverpool fan. However, I'll give them a bit of free advice. Rafa Benitez is available. It's not a sexy appointment. It's not particularly a long-term appointment. But Rafa Benitez is still a very good manager. A very steady pair of hands. And for a couple of seasons, if you wanted to sell Kane and rebuild, Rafa would be ideal. Your squad works for Rafa. You still need a right back and you'll need one centre back. He will be absolutely fine with Toby he'll keep everything nice and tight for him he'll probably want a goalkeeper but you need you knew you need that anyway PSG won't be in for Hugo Lloris anymore but there will be a bunch of clubs in France that would love to have Hugo Lloris go and find the one Nice maybe I know they have Walter Benitez but Nice loads of money may well be willing to take Lloris but yeah give Rafa a goalkeeper, a reliable dominant centre-back. Doesn't have to be anybody who, you know, pulls up trees. A good dependable right-back and a replacement for Kane. When Ali is his 10, he'll work with Bergvine and Mora as right-wingers. Son off the left. He'll make the most of midfield options that he has there. Toby in a good centre-back. 
Regulon, a decent right back and a decent goalkeeper. Four players. You'll get that with the Kane money. You'll get that no problem with the Kane money. Isaac would actually be perfect. If you could, could do a deal to get Isaac, he'd be perfect for Rafa. He's ideal for what Rafa wants up front. And Naziri would be ideal for what Rafa wants up front. Rafa would be able to p- turn that money into a really, really strong team for a couple of seasons and get you back into the mix, at least for top four. He might not take you further than that, but he'll get you into the mix for top four. And isn't that sort of all you can really ask at the moment? Because your other options don't look particularly good. Um, We'll wrap up with the gossip. (laughs) I love this. Everton want to pursue the signing of Wolves in England centre-back Connor Cody. This is lies. It would have made sense under Nuno because Nuno knows him and likes him, but no other manager is going to look at Cody and think, yeah, he's better than Mina, Holgate, Keane, and and Godfrey especially. Connor Cody is where he belongs. Well, he's probably a level above what he belongs, where he belongs. But, you know, unless you're playing a back three and you want a passenger there defensively, but who can play the ball out from the back, you're not going to pick Connor Cody. This is some more nonsense journalism from the star. Uh, Chelsea want to build a positive relationship with with Dortmund because they want to sign Haaland and Bellingham. Tripe. I mean, of course they do. Every club wants to have a positive relationship with Borussia Dortmund while they have this, this constant flow of immense young talent. This is not something you've gained from insight. No source has told you this. You've just assumed this because... Why wouldn't you assume it? Uh, Manchester United have made an opening bid of £50 million for Real Madrid and France defender Rafael Varane, but Real want £80 million for the 28-year-old. Now, if the Manchester Evening News is aware that Real want £80 million, you would imagine Manchester United are also aware that they want £80 million, and therefore a bid of £50 million is not a serious bid. Sergio Ramos's Real Madrid departure could scupper plans for Varane to leave after the Spanish Giants open new contract talks with centre-back. I'd imagine they will commit to Varane and go, go long-term. Varane and Militao, I think it's got great promise, especially with Mendy at left-back. They need to sort the right-back position out. If they had the money, they'd be well to go back and buy Hakimi, maybe move to a back three, because Mendy can play the left of a back three. Militao, Varane and Mendy as a back three would actually be very, very promising. Hakimi off the right, on, on the right. And Teo Hernandez is rumoured to be available from AC Milan. Go and get him and bring him back. That as a back five would be special. Uh, Inter Milan's Moroccan defender, Ashraf Hakimi, has verbally agreed to join Chelsea. Um, this is from someone called Ekram Konar. This is nonsense again. It's just nonsense. Verbally agreed. To, what does that even mean? He said, yeah, like the, the, nonsense. Inter are preparing a second bid of around 70 million euro for Hakimi. Sorry, PSG are considering a, a bid of around 70 million for Hakimi uh, to Inter. I, I think if PSG are going to play a back three, which is possible, then Hakimi is perfect for them. I, 
I wish he'd stay at Inter. I wish Inter could keep him because I, I love him in that Inter team. But whoever gets him is getting a tremendous player, be it PSG or Chelsea. Chelsea will definitely be playing a back three if they sign him. PSG, you feel like, could sign him and try and force him into a back four. Roma will try and sign Aston Villa and Brazil midfielder Douglas Luiz if they fail to land Granit Xhaka. Douglas Luiz will cost substantially more than Granit Xhaka, who they can't afford. So this is tripe. Wolves are evaluating the possibility of signing former Chelsea and Atletico Madrid striker Diego Costa, who's available on a free. They could have signed him in January and they didn't, so I don't think they're going to do it now. Fernandinho has agreed a new one-year deal to stay at Man City. I think that's important if that's true, because they lost Aguero, they lost Silva, they lost Company, they lost Yaya, they lost Sabaleta, they lost their leadership council. They need to keep some of that around. <clears throat> There's not any natural leaders in the squad other than him. Diaz might get there, but not yet. Crystal Palace have made contact with the representatives of Borussia Dortmund, former Borussia Dortmund manager Lucien Favre as they continue their search for a new manager. He wouldn't be my pick, but he, he'd be a, he's a good manager. He's a good manager. He's He wouldn't be my pick, is all I'd say. But fair play. If Palace get him, it's quite a coup for them. Andalex Albert Lukonga and Sheffield United goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale are among Arsenal's targets as Mikel Arteta looks to overhaul his squad. Uh, and by overhaul, they mean make it worse. Lukonga's talented. He is. No question he's talented. He'd be a good signing. Ramsdale is not a good signing. He's talented, but he's been awful for two years. And what he needs to do is continue to learn, continue to play regularly, probably in the championship, for a couple of seasons, and develop. He doesn't need to go to Arsenal. Um, Leicester are hoping Yuri Tielemans will sign a new contract with the club amid speculation over his future. The Belgian midfielder has been linked with both Manchester United and Liverpool. It looked like he said goodbye on the final day. Uh, Leicester have stepped up their interest in Pats and Dacca. That's from the Telegraph. On loan, West Ham midfielder Jesse Lingard is due to hold talks at Manchester United over his future when he returns to pre-season training next month, meaning the Hammers must wait to find find out if they can sign the England international permanently. Um, I think he'd be foolish to even consider staying. I really do. I think he just needs to get out of Manchester United, get away from the pressure of Manchester United. That run he had at West Ham, that's the best form of his career. That's the most Premier League goals he's ever scored. He, and he did it in 16 games. He had a tremendous six months. He needs to get away from United. Really, really does. Jurgen Klopp is monitoring the situation of Alexander Isaac. The 21-year-old scored 17 goals in the Liga this summer, uh, last season rather, and helped La Real win the Copa del Rey. It was actually the season before his Copa del Rey that had been delayed that they went on and won. Uh, he'd scored a ton of goals in that tournament. Uh, Brighton have fallen at the last hurdle in the race to sign Nicolas Gonzalez. This is a big blow for Brighton because they were all in on him. Uh, they'd agreed a club record fee of around 25 million plus bonuses, but it looks like he's decided to sign for Italian side Fiorentina. Now remember, Fiorentina bid for him, spoke to him, he turned them down, looked like he was going to Brighton, Fiorentina get rid of Gattuso, and all of a sudden he wants to go to Fiorentina. That doesn't really speak well of Gattuso. 
if Fiorentina can keep Vlahovic for the year, then those two together should be absolutely magic. Um, that's it then. That is the show for the day. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. And I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. No, I won't see you tomorrow. I'll see you Monday. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.